Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. On this episode of HI101, my guest Kevin Miller and I sit down to talk about the famous rivalry that existed between inventors Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. We'll begin by discussing the early life of Edison and move into the famous race for the electrification of North America, known as the War of the Currents. Let's begin. All right, welcome to HI101. I'm here with my guest Kevin Miller. Hello. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the feud between uh, Tesla and Edison, yes. which was Miller's choice, and one that I'm actually very excited to talk about. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up because my, my understanding of it is that it seems very interesting, but I, my experience of it is just skimming the surface. So all I know about it is what I've seen in epic rap battles on YouTube and uh, in uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. <laughs> Which, believe it or not, are not the most historically accurate <laughs> works out there. I didn't think they might be, yeah. <laughs> A magic movie. <laughs> so Tesla especially has been really popular lately in popular culture uh, as sort of this misunderstood nerd who was a hundred years ahead of his time. He's a wizard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Ironic because Edison's name at the time actually, or, or nickname at the time was the Wizard of Menlo Park. Menlo Park being where he had his lab, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> but there's sort of this this mythology of, of Tesla being so incredibly far ahead of his time, not recognized at all as a genius when he was alive. Right. Edison sort of exploiting his technology, things like that. The two of them being these these monumental rivals in the science and technology world mm -hmm. and it makes for a really good story <laughs> Yay. it makes for an excellent story because when you look at it you're seeing sort of edison who is this personification of industrialization of science versus tesla who is sort of this lone inventor kind of working on really interesting things but very much not secluded yeah secluded is a great word for it and one thing that comes up a lot in history is because it's sort of a matter of us telling stories about true things that happened mm -hmm. what you get is people sort of trying to force narratives onto situations that don't always exist oh yeah and unfortunately this whole edison tesla thing is one of those situations it's really, really easy to look at this whole this whole uh, whole period in time. We're looking at 
roughly the 1890s when most of the stuff that we're talking about today happened. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to look at this period in time and sort of take all of these issues that were flying around and, and put them onto two people. Right. And make them sort of the personifications of these two systems. Mm -hmm. But that's really not... Your reality is going to be more complicated than that. <laughs> every single time. And, and <clears throat> as, much as, as much as I love that, that sort, of, that sort of narrative between the two of them, when you look at the actual facts, sometimes it just doesn't shake out that way. So the, the, thing, the thing that I find most interesting about public perception of the rivalry between the two of them is how much it's changed over the years. And we can get into this a little bit later, you know, closer to the end of the show and sure. examine both of them. But what's really fascinating about it is it's, it's something called uh, historiography, which is the study of the way we study history, which sounds... Meta-history. It's meta-history. It sounds incredibly boring. But what's interesting about historiography is that it's less about the things that happened in the past and more about what it says about us in interpreting how we remember it yes and and how we interpret past past events mm -hmm. and what it, what it, what that says about us in the interpretation and tesla and edison are a really good example of historiography in action because up until say 20 years ago mm -hmm. people looked at edison as by far the more interesting of the pair well sure i hadn't heard of tesla at all until like what 2004 <laughs> Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, Edison Edison seemed like, for most of the 20th century, it seemed like he came out on top. Mm -hmm. So we will get to the sort of very small ways that they did overlap uh, eventually, but I figured it would be easiest just to sort of start off talking about Thomas Edison, where he came from, what he was up to early on in his career, things like that, so we can just get a really good sort of ground understanding of this half of the uh, the rivalry, if you want to call it that. Yeah, sounds good. So Thomas Edison was born uh, in 1847 in Ohio, and he was a really bad student. He paid very little attention in class. Mm -hmm. He was constantly tinkering with things. He was always distracted. His teachers thought he would never amount to anything. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, really, he, he really did quite poorly in school. His, his father as well also believed that he would never amount to anything in particular. So very early on in his in his life, he sort of took it upon himself to work outside of that traditional academic system uh, to make a living for himself. He got he got involved in the telegraph industry, so working for various. Was um, that a family industry? What his dad did? No, no, he he was hired outside. Uh, I'm not sure what his dad did. I can't remember. Okay, so it's not like he was pressured into anything. <laughs> not at all. In okay. fact, he was he was very interested in telegraphy. Like this was a relatively new technology at this point in time right yeah and he was so fascinated by this idea of talking to people thousands of miles away basically instantaneously well, of course who wouldn't be absolutely <laughs> again wizardry <laughs> exactly so he got involved in the telegraph business and while he was working as a telegraph operator he would spend time while the telegraph wasn't actually operating tinkering with other things okay uh, in fact he was he, he would often choose to do the night shift so that it was quieter so that he could be working but also have time to mess around with his inventions yeah so i worked during the day and then putter in the lab at night <laughs> essentially no 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 he was actually at work oh, at night okay, but then okay. he would work while on shift yeah right. and he was actually fired from western union because he was working on uh, a battery okay 
and some acid spilled out of this battery went through the floor of where he was working <laughs> and destroyed his boss's desk on the floor below. Oh, man. So that's the kind of guy he was. So he, he cartoonishly got thrown at the front door with his walking papers. Essentially. Essentially, <laughs> and yeah. stay out. But luckily, very early after this, his invention started kind of bearing fruit. He actually, his, his first patent was at age 22. All right. In 1869, he invented a stock ticker. Okay. So, which is basically a telegraph that's hooked up to a national service, and when prices and stocks fluctuate, it comes across and automatically prints on paper. Right. So, this wasn't the first stock ticker that existed, but the difference in Edison's stock ticker was that it actually printed out the letters and numbers rather than just Morse code. Ah, okay. So, he had a little converter in his, and this was a pretty big deal at the time. Much more marketable. Absolutely. Much more useful. So he started a little business based on this patent, turning out these stock tickers, and sort of Edison was kind of a serial company starter. I mean, even when he was young, he, he had a small newspaper distribution business. Guy Fieri of his age. Sure, we could call him that, I guess. Uh, That's the first example that came to mind, I'm sorry. I don't think Edison deserves that. Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> the poor guy, I mean, he... He could be monstrous at times, but even that. Yeah, he's not a super saiyan. <laughs> so anyways, he was working away on inventions. And one of the first things that he did was to establish a system uh, known as the Industrial Research Lab model. The idea here being that Edison had some money. Mm-hmm. He had some great ideas, but he didn't necessarily always have time to develop the ideas Okay. And his time was worth a lot of money, so why not pay a bunch of guys to basically develop the ideas that he's come up with? Yeah. Seems pretty reasonable. So he comes up with an idea, patents it or whatever, and then has them actually put it into practice as well as they can. Exactly. And also, sort of a logical extension of this was that at some point he began essentially putting it into the contracts of these workers that if they came up with a new invention on Edison's time that it would belong to the company and not to that individual. Yeah. Now, his thinking there is that while he's paying these guys to do research, why should they be able to research on Edison's time and profit personally from it? If they have such a good idea that they think they can take it to market and make a lot of money off of it, Mm -hmm. they should just quit the company. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Now, a lot of people point to this whole industrial research lab model as very exploitive. Yeah, a little bit. And you can definitely see where they're coming from on Mm. that. But, I mean, it's also kind of important to look at it as, like, there are are so many companies that are still doing similar things. Plenty of, uh, I mean, even software engineers, if you write a piece of code on company time, that belongs to the company and not to you. So it's really, really no different. I mean, on a smaller scale, I've done it myself. (laughs) Sure. It's, I I mean, it's standard business practice these days. It's It's not that out of the ordinary. So, next big invention, 1877, age 30, Mm -hmm. Thomas Edison invents the phonograph. All right. So, this is the first time that sound has been recorded Mm -hmm. ever in human history. Edison repeating the alphabet over and over. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, again, the the wizard moniker kind of sticks. This is... For certain, yeah. He's he's recorded his voice for all time. (laughs) Yeah. There's actually a recording out there of... 
Thomas Edison reading Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's right, it's on YouTube or something, right? It's actually on Wikipedia. Oh, wow. Uh, in fact, you know what? I might just insert it. Interject it, it here? <laughs> yeah, stick it in right here. The uh, first words I spoke in the original phonograph. A little piece of practical poetry. Mary Had a Little Lamb, its streets were quite as slow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Well, that was that sure was Thomas Edison. Yep. That we'll hear later. I can't wait to listen back to that. <laughs> the phonograph was initially fairly crude. He was recording it on a uh, on a cylinder that was made of um, tinfoil. Oh, okay. And the needle would and and grooves were cut into this tinfoil, kind of spiraling, mm-hmm. and and the needle would kind of mark the tinfoil as it went. It was extremely delicate. It could only be used a few times, but I mean, still. It's it's one of those things that no one had ever done anything like this before. Ever. So so it's like a cylinder that it would be like grooves on the outside of it, I and it would kind of run along with like as it rotated. Yeah. So it's sort of like a vertical record. Essentially. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's 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 doing a corkscrew, and the needle is moving up it. Yeah. Rather than uh, across it. Oh, okay. Hmm. It, it. I mean, it was the first one ever. They, you know, he yeah. he kind of worked with what he had. Now. What's kind of, there's a couple of interesting things about this. First off, obviously he patented it yeah, right away. Sure. But he didn't really do anything to improve it until other guys started getting into the game. So people you may have heard of, like Alexander Graham Bell, yep. were working on wax cylinders, which last a lot longer. As soon as they were working on technology that matched what Edison could do, mm-hmm. Edison started pouring resources into making a better version of oh, it. Oh, sure. you got to stay on that cutting edge. <laughs> He also employed a lot of lawyers to make sure that the other versions that were out there weren't infringing on his patents. Right. Edison was a firm believer in de- defending patents, like, very, very rigorously. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, they, they made him his fortune. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not an unreasonable thing. I mean, he invented he invented recorded sound. That's not a small thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and in his position, I would do the same. <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing that was really interesting about the invention of the phonograph is everyone kind of focuses on the recorded sound. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible invention. Just sort of included in the patent, kind of as a side note, is... (laughs) Tucked in there. ...is the carbon microphone. Oh, yeah. A device for actually turning physical sound waves into an electrical signal Mm -hmm. to be recorded. It's got to be converted. Right. And that was a huge invention as well. And that one ended up coming into play when Alexander Graham Bell was working on the telephone. Mm-hmm. When you start looking at radio transmission a couple of decades later, all of these had to come back to Edison's original microphone patent. And he ended up making a lot of money off of that one as well. Sure, and it was kind of an afternote to what his original conception was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was It was sort of... I, I mean, you need that yeah. for the phonograph. It's an essential part right, of it. Right, but it's a means to it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the phonograph was the goal. Exactly. And, and it was seen as sort of a part of the device. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until much later that they realized that that part had so many applications on its own. Right. That would become very important in the future. Uh, what else? There is the incandescent lamp. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. 1879, he patented a new type of incandescent lamp. He didn't invent the incandescent lamp. Plenty of people had incandescent lamps. Yep. What Edison did was actually make them commercially viable. Yep. He was able to produce them cheap enough mm-hmm. and through a method that lasted long Lasted enough. longer. The, uh, the 
tungsten filament? He didn't actually right? invent them with tungsten filaments. It was a carbon fiber filament. Uh, tungsten wasn't added until much later. Well. But his carbon filaments actually were good for... Like, his lamps were rated for 1,200 hours. That ain't bad. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I haven't bought incandescent lamps in so long, but I don't think they're rated for that much longer. No, I can't imagine they would be. I'm trying to figure out what 1,200 hours is roughly equivalent to. That's, what, six weeks solid? Something like that. Not Someone else that. do the math. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> it's about eight weeks. <laughs> the invention of the incandescent lamp was a big deal because before this, essentially you're looking at if you need light after after the sun's gone down, your options are basically oil lamps or candles. Yep. And those get expensive. Yep, and they don't light very well. Yeah, they don't. I, I can't speak well for 19th century incandescent lamps, but I mean, candles are small. You need a lot of them. Yeah, it's very hard to read by them. It's very hard to work by them. Yep. So this incandescent lamp was sort of a way of extending humans functional time in the day which is kind of a weird way of putting it but essentially up until now if the sun goes down your your day's more or less over well and it's perfect it was a it was a invention of necessity for him certainly then because he you wouldn't said earlier you know it wasn't that he had the resources or the ideas he just didn't have enough time exactly this basically extended his functional time yep and what's more this is a really good example of how his industrial research method allowed him to capitalize on technology that yes it existed but he was able to take it and refine it and make it into a usable and profitable product Mm -hmm. because you know yes scientists had created electric light before this oh sure yeah but to do it in a way that the common person could actually access that technology yes had not been done before and all of a sudden there are a lot of possibilities out there right i mean you could compare this to, say, what, what's been happening with solar technology lately. I mean, mm-hmm. solar cells have been out there for decades, but it's only recently that it's even sort of come more or less even. That yeah, you where can the average ahead. person might be able to put some on their roofs and benefit from them. Yeah, and even yeah. then it's going to take a while to pay off. And yeah. as more and more come out, it becomes more and more commercially viable. Right. Whereas 20, you know, 20, 30 years ago, to put solar cells on your roof... No one would do that. Yeah. It would make no sense whatsoever. It was way too expensive. So there's always this overlap in technology where it's invented, but then becomes widely available. And those mm-hmm. are two very different hurdles to cross. Oh, and definitely. Edison was singularly skilled at crossing that second hurdle. Let's get it to the people. Now that he had the lamps, he needed a way of getting the lamps to the people. And no one's going to get lamps if they don't have a way of lighting them up. So... The next thing that Edison gets, goes into is power production. Ah, uh, okay. He starts working on electric generators. Mm-hmm. He starts, he, you know, he's constantly spinning off companies. Like when he came out with the lamps, he just made a different company that was producing these light bulbs. Yep. So he, he made a new company that was focused on generating power for these lamps because he wanted to put these in everyone's home. He wanted to bring costs of electrical production down. He famously said that he wants to make electrical lighting so cheap that only the wealthy will burn candles. Huh. Interesting. Which is a, a great quote. Yeah, he said definitely. so many great things. But I always, as a novelty. I always particularly like that one. Yeah, make candles a novelty. And here we are now. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I mean, that's the way things go now. So Edison's 
power production was based on direct current electricity because basically when he's getting into the game in 1880 that's what exists Mm -hmm. and he invested heavily in the technology to produce these power plants to generate power to run the infrastructure so running from the generators to people's homes right and he was very very deep in with direct current so did he set this up like as like a small neighborhood sort of situation before expanding or yeah, I mean, he, he, he expanded it in phases. Mm-hmm. You don't just all of a sudden build... Well, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. You don't just power your state suddenly. Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that started off was in New York and New Jersey because they were very densely populated. Right. You don't put an electrical generator in the middle of Kansas because you simply don't have enough people around mm-hmm. to buy the power from you to make it profitable. Oh, for sure. So, it's not a utility that's necessary there yet. Well, it's it's not a it's not a utility that it's economically viable to roll out there. Yeah, yeah. So he started slowly setting up these generators, and all of a sudden, this guy called George Westinghouse comes along. Okay. And George Westinghouse has sort of a similar story to Thomas Edison. Westinghouse made a lot of money very early on in his life through an invention. In his case, he made a. Uh, a fail-safe air brake for trains mm-hmm. and made tons of money. Oh, sure. Because it's 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 actually a style of air brake that's still used on trains today. Hmm. It is the way you stop trains. Wow. It's, yeah, I know very little about trains. <laughs> it, I mean, it's not that relevant to this conversation, sure. so we can kind of leave it there. But essentially, it's called a fail-safe brake because what it means is if you cut all power to it, if you lose all control over it, for some reason or another, mm-hmm. it will default into the stop position. Okay. Right? And so that's, it's mechanical. Yes. Entirely. Okay, cool. Yeah, and to, to open it, you, it's it's open through uh, air pressure. Mm-hmm. So kind of coming off the, the steam engine, right? Right, yeah. So as soon as it loses that air pressure, oh, it goes you know when the, str- the train stops and all the yeah. steam hisses out? Mm-hmm. Air brakes. So he made a lot of money off of that, and he decides he's also going to get into... The power generation game. Cool. And this is going to kick off something called the War of the Currents. Oh, it begins. And we're going to come back to the War of the Currents right after this break. We're back on HI 101. I'm here with Kevin Miller. Hello. So now we're going to talk about the War of the Currents, which is... Personally, one of my favorite names for an industrial feud. Yeah, I had a question about that. Is that something that we as people in the near future are putting on it now? Or is is that something that they referred to it in the the newsprint back in the day? I honestly don't know. I would not be surprised if uh, Newsman at the time called it that. Mm -hmm. Because it was very public and it was very very newsworthy at the time. Mm -hmm. Like People were talking about this stuff. The War of the Currents was actually a fairly short affair. I mean, we're talking about... <laughs> Thousands die. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a couple casualties. We'll get to those. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make light of it. <laughs> well, the, the War of the Currents refers to this sort of battle between... Again, this is a personification of what happened, but essentially between Edison's company and Westinghouse's company. Mm-hmm. There were things that contributed to to this transformative moment. 
that was was far outside of Edison and Westinghouse. I mean, there were things going on in Europe that were critical to all of this. But when it comes to North America and when it comes to determining the standard for electrical infrastructure, mm-hmm. these two played such an enormous part that they tend to be... They're the heavyweights. <laughs> they are the heavyweights in this fight. So what really kind of kicked this off is that in 1885 to 1887, there were some major leaps forward in alternating current technology. So Edison was working with direct current technology. Mm -hmm. Direct current, I mean, we don't want to get too much into the technical stuff, but direct current, you have current constantly flowing in one direction, alternating current, it's switching directions back and forth is kind of the simplest way to explain it. Mm -hmm. And until 1885 to 1887, we didn't have very good ways of generating it, uh, alternating current, and we didn't have really good ways of harnessing that energy for useful work. Right. Those are the two big things that came about in the mid-1880s that kind of changed things. Mm -hmm. One of the major heavyweights in this is in 1887, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, patented uh, an AC motor, which was finally actually viable for commercial and uh, residential uses. Yep, a new challenger appears. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, Tesla isn't a huge part of this whole feud over what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Tesla, we'll get into Tesla a little bit more later, but, but as, a, as a popular society, this is our first introduction to him? In a lot of ways, yes. Okay. But even then, Tesla invents this thing, and, and people know about it, obviously, but right. it's not as though he's presenting it to the general public. People aren't necessarily talking about Tesla as a household name That's at this page point. Page six news. Essentially, I mean, it's 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 more even something that people within the industry would be interested in more than... Uh, your average Joe. Yeah, he was not getting into the New York Times with this, necessarily. Got it. So this motor that he invented kind of opened the way to alternating current being actually viable for household use. Mm -hmm. George Westinghouse saw this as an opportunity. Oh, and I was going to say earlier, sorry, um, Tesla was a very self-assured guy. He was very convinced that when he was right, he was right. Okay. And when he invented the the AC motor, Mm -hmm. he wasn't really putting on the gloves and being like, all right, Edison, come and get it. He was basically saying okay, well, this is the way the world is going to be, and sooner or later you guys are going to figure it out. <laughs> oh, okay. He, he was very unconcerned about... He wasn't getting ready to fight because in his mind he'd already won. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. He wasn't okay. concerned about making a case necessarily for his technology. Sure, let's speak for itself. Yeah, exactly. He's just sort of put it out there. Westinghouse saw this as an opportunity and went to Tesla. Mm-hmm. He patented a number of Teslas... Or, sorry, he, he bought the rights to use a number of... Tesla's patents. Okay. So didn't buy the patents from him, but licensed their use. Did this with a number of other inventors too, who had recently made strides in uh, AC technology. Mm-hmm. And basically, he took all these patents. He accumulated enough to put together an entire transmission, home delivery system from generator to uh, wall socket, all built on AC technology. All right. So huge initial layout. But he got all of his guys working on a way basically to go from making the energy to having it work in the home. On the new AC system. (laughs) Exactly. He also hired Tesla for one year in 1888. He hired him as a consultant on a one-year contract to help him sort of get the whole system up and running. Okay. So for one year, Tesla was working for Westinghouse. Mm -hmm. 
and basically showed Westinghouse's guys what they needed to do and then went back to his own thing. Gotcha. In fact, he was working on his own thing while consulting with them. Tesla was a very busy guy. Yep. But that's more or less all the Tesla plays into the War of the Currents. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it if he was involved. I really would. Yeah. But essentially, all he did was sell some patents, and he uh, he worked on some of Westinghouse's tech for yeah, you. Showed what plugs into where and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a little more involved than that, but absolutely, yeah. that's he, he he took all these patents, took a look, made a couple of tweaks, and said, "There you go. That's yep. a system that you can use." Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. There's a number of things that AC has over DC in terms of advantages. The biggest thing that alternating current has over direct current is that alternating current can be transmitted much longer distances. So when it comes to generating power and then transmitting power over wires, mm-hmm. your biggest problem is current loss. Yeah. So resistance. Resistance, exactly. Yeah. The way that you combat loss of current is to make extremely low current, extremely high voltage electricity. Okay. Because the lower the current, the less the resistance. Yeah. So the higher the voltage, the better the transmission. Got it. Alternating current can fairly easily have its voltage stepped up or stepped down. Oh, okay. Direct current, we basically only figured out a good way to step direct current voltage in the 50s. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know all the science behind it. Sure. Essentially, it has something to do with the difference between the magnetic fields created by direct current and alternating current. Yeah, this feels like something I learned in 11th grade physics and have since forgotten. <laughs> I'm not sure I even got it completely then. Essentially, essentially the, the magnetic current from alternating current, or sorry, the magnetic field from alternating current oscillates. The mm-hmm. poles switch back and forth. Right. Whereas direct current, the poles stay in one direction, which just makes sense. Yeah. But that oscillation is what allows the stepping in voltage. Okay. Hmm. So... What this meant functionally for these actual people, rather than just in the grand sort of theoretical science terms, is that you basically needed one direct current generator every square mile. Yeah, it could get costly. Very costly. And a lot of maintenance. Uh, Yeah. It's it's really inconvenient. Mm -hmm. Whereas alternating current, you could have much longer distances between the generator and the homes because you generate power, you step it up to an extremely high voltage, mm-hmm. you get it 99% of the way to the place it needs to be, mm-hmm. then you have a transformer right on site, Right. step it down to the voltage that the people need in their homes. Gotcha. Interesting. It's very, very efficient for power delivery. Westinghouse is looking at this going, I can scale this so easily uh, because one generator can service so many more people. Mm-hmm. Edison had a lot of arguments against it. Well, sure. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> he had a lot of arguments against it, mostly because he was invested so heavily in DC. Yep, he'd been doing it for years. He would it's say only game it down. Yeah, exactly. He would say things like, "The fact that there are so many generators democratizes the delivery of commodities." His idea, basically, being that yes, there are a lot more generators, but that also means that it's a lot less costly to have one generator because the load on that generator is a lot smaller. So in essence, Edison would argue that you or I could buy a generator and run it as a means of income. Right. And the idea that if, you know, a generator went down, there'd be like two houses that went down instead of, you know, 150. Exactly. He was also saying that 
Well, I mean, he, his his point being that alternating current creates the potential for monopolies in utility production. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, he's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> but an important thing to re- uh, to recognize about Edison at this point is that a lot of his arguments are kind of mud smearing in nature. They're he's trying to convince people to stay on his system. Well, sure. In the face of a like drastically superior yeah, there's, the, there's a new technology in town and he's clinging to what he's got yeah absolutely the big break for westinghouse came when there was an enormous flood in oregon city oregon in 1889 okay destroyed the dc generator that they had just put in oh no westinghouse quoted a much cheaper ac system convinced them of the benefits of switching over to alternating current okay and Oregon City said, sure, yeah, let's give it a shot. And found out that they really liked it. Yeah, sure. Um, so it didn't quite become a bidding war. <laughs> well, not in this case. I mean, Edison did try to get back in there. Yeah. But at, they, they chose Westinghouse over Edison. It was sort of Westinghouse's big break in generating uh, electricity. All right, Oregon City. Oregon City, Oregon. So Westinghouse takes up the contract. He's providing all of the, the electricity for this area and, and a fairly sizable area around Oregon City. Mm-hmm. Because he can do that. And once people saw what he could do with just one generator, they were very impressed. Uh, okay. This was a big stage for him. Yeah. So right away in 1889, Edison starts this smear campaign against AC. He starts talking about how dangerous alternating current is compared to direct current. Interesting. To be fair to Edison, alternating current is slightly more dangerous than direct current. How's that? It's not significantly dangerous, more dangerous, but basically, if you get direct current going through your heart, oh, okay. your heart will stop. Yep. Okay? If you get alternating current going through your heart, it will cause fibrillation. Yeah. So erratic beating, Makes fluttering. Sense. Yep. It's a lot easier for a heart to bounce back from being stopped mm-hmm. than it is from fibrillation. Yep. Hence, defibrillators, you run an electric current through a fibrillating heart, it stops the heart, gives oh. it a chance to restart, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So there is that. There's also the fact that direct current, if you if you touch direct current and your muscles contract, mm-hmm. you tend to be thrown away. Mm-hmm. Whereas with alternating current, you tend to clamp Hold down. Yep. Electricians will call this froze on the circuit. Mm-hmm. So there are some minor things there that make it more dangerous. In the long run, you don't want to get electrocuted with either. Generally, yeah. <laughs> Generally. <laughs> given a choice. Given a choice, avoid electrocution. <laughs> but this is new to people, so they don't know. <laughs> Let their babies touch those wall outlets. <laughs> so, Edison. Edison was... A, here's an interesting thing about Edison. Edison was a pacifist. Mm-hmm. He really didn't like violence and cruelty. However... <laughs> he also started paying children 25 cents per stray dog or cat so that he could electrocute them in front of crowds mm. with alternating current to show how dangerous it was. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd do it. He also tried to... He, he tried to get... It, it didn't catch on, but he tried to coin the term Westinghouse for being electrocuted. If someone died... <laughs> if someone died of electrocution, he would, call, he would say that they had been Westinghouse. Looks like you really shrewded that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely brooded it up. Um... <laughs> it never really caught on. Yeah. But, I mean, this, this is a thing that happened. He tried very, very hard. And 
people, I mean, it, it scared people for sure. Mm-hmm. But you also have to remember that electricity at this point is only just becoming available to the general public. And even then only in concentrating urban centers. Sure, yeah. People didn't know what it was. Their experience with electricity was people being struck by lightning. Yeah. Or, you know, you could tell them that when they rub their woolly socks on the carpet and get a shock, that's what electricity was. But you don't that's not really something that you understand innately right yeah so and and we're in an era before high-speed photography so even lightning is a thing that people don't even know what it looks like yeah other than what what they're able to see which isn't much i mean the impression visually of lightning is just Mm -hmm. it's so fleeting and you know if you've had a cow struck by lightning yeah you You know what the effects are exactly so anything to do with electricity seemed like number one seemed like magic Mm -hmm. number two seemed incredibly dangerous sure so common sense is one of those things that is the least it like it's the least common sense thing out there right like you learn things by experience you learn things through your environment Mm -hmm. and you know you and i grow up knowing not to stick stuff in an electrical outlet because you'll die (laughs) Um, these people had no idea what they were dealing with so when someone rolls up from Edison's company mm-hmm. and says, listen, if you put AC in here, this is what's going to happen to you and zaps a cat. Yeah. It has a pretty good, it's yeah, a very a good appeal. Impression. It's a very good appeal for DC. Now. So these are the, these are the casualties. These are the casualties. <laughs> oh, God bless them. Culminating. Lights of angels sing me to thy rest. Now it. It does, it does get a little bit worse. Oh, no. Oh, boy. In 1890... Convicts. <laughs> no. In 1890... Don't smile knowingly at me. Thomas Alva Edison... <laughs> oh, no. ...hired a man named Harold Brown... Okay. ...to act as a neutral third party, someone with plausible deniability... <laughs> okay. To a, so neutral. <laughs> But no one knew he was on the payroll. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) To invent the electric chair. Oh, no. In 1890, Harold Brown invented the alternating current-based electric chair. Mm -hmm. And Edison, from his point as a pacifist, said, listen, maybe we should adopt this because AC is so good at killing people, this is the most humane way to execute a prisoner. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So yes, Edison at this point is way too deep in to be in any way impartial about any so of this So catty. Stuff. But the thing is, the way he's spinning this, especially given the context of the times, is really effective. Yeah, I can see that. And, and it, it definitely has an effect on the general population. People are worried about this whole alternating current thing. Mm-hmm. It's also a jerk move. <laughs> yes, it's business. Yes, he's looking at the success or failure of his entire power generating branch of business and yeah you kind of have to do what you can to get by in business but he was going above and beyond Mm -hmm. you know he does not have slander well yeah exactly he does not have television advertisements to promote the benefits of dc he has to send people around town to town you can't take up the first 30 seconds of every youtube video (laughs) exactly he did not have don draper as much as he would have liked him nuts so he was resorting to these really incredibly over-the-top tactics yeah, to try. Tactics. Absolutely. So, yeah, the, the electric chair. In 1890, they hooked up the first electric chair. A convict named William Kemmler was sat down in the electric chair. Mm-hmm. The um, Do we know what he was uh, convicted for? I'm not sure. 
<laughs> be petty theft. <laughs> Just jaywalking. He stole some bread for his family. Yeah. Jean Valjean style. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a hero. <laughs> the techs who hooked up the chair miscalculated the voltage. Oh, no. No. <laughs> and he did not try. He did not die on the first try. <laughs> they shocked him for 15 seconds and he was not killed. Uh, it was apparently yeah. really, really horrible. Yeah, I can imagine. They they killed him with the second try. <laughs> Good on them. Westinghouse was asked for comment. <laughs> and he said one sentence. They would have done better using an axe. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't know as much about Westinghouse as the other two that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. I do like... Westinghouse's, like in general, ability to turn a phrase. But in general, he's also uh, he comes across as a pretty all-around good guy. Pragmatic. Yeah, I mean, he was very ambitious. He mm-hmm. was very driven. But at the same time, again, I from what little I do know of him, mm-hmm. he does seem very forward and and fairly above board with his business practices. And I like that he had this opportunity to say something that was both true and beneficial. Yeah. That was that was a big win for Westinghouse. <laughs> now it's it's not as though that was the thing that turned the tide, but no. honestly, it's it's quite notable. In 1890, there was also a commission begun, where with the advent of the electrification of the United States and of Europe, mm-hmm. people were looking at the world around them, kind of going, "How can we use this to our advantage?" Okay, so they they can light their homes now, and that's cool. But what else can they do? <laughs> Exactly. And a big sticking point on the generation of power is that like, you're basically looking at coal plants at this point in time. Right. They're kind of going, is there a better way? Mm-hmm. And they look up and they see Niagara Falls. And oh. they go, that looks pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. I bet we could do something with that. Sure. And so a bunch of very rich people that you've probably heard of, including Lloyd Rothschild, J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. a bunch of other sort of captains of industry, started this commission... To look into the whole business of monetizing Niagara Falls. Sure. Because everyone profits that way, right? Absolutely. You get... It's just falling there anyway. <laughs> Might as well do something with it. Exactly. It's being un-American. Yep, no one gets a free ride, even waterfalls, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so they looked at this and said, we can make some money. Mm-hmm. Everyone can get some power. Who doesn't love this? They started this commission to look into whether or not they can actually use Niagara Falls to any practical purpose. Mm-hmm. This is going to last a number of years, but this is a crucial part of the War of the Currents. Sure, definitely. Now, So these, these titans of industry, did they fall on a certain side of this at this stage? No, because, I mean, what's great... They were still just researching it. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys had a lot of very positive things and very negative things about them. Mm-hmm. They were very... What's interesting about guys at that point in time was they would make these huge fortunes, but then they would also use those fortunes somewhat or parts of them to public benefit. Okay. So they were big into building infrastructure kind mm-hmm. of things. Uh, Carnegie Hall, for example, was okay. built by uh, Dale Carnegie. Makes sense. It's it's one example of many, but yeah, they would they would actually do things like set up foundations. They were looking to, in general, improve America. With their fortunes heroes they tended to be self-made men mm-hmm. and this idea of the american dream was still very much alive at this point where 
anyone with enough get up and go can kind of make their own fortune. Yeah, sounds like it. If you work hard enough and take a couple chances, you two can have millions and millions of dollars. Oh, okay. Which sounds great. That's awesome. So they were very much into kind of giving back to the community because they saw themselves as being propelled forward by these communities. Sure, yeah. They plucked themselves up by their bootstraps. Why not give back? Exactly. Make it so that someone else can do the same thing. They were also incredibly intelligent men. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to be to kind of turn that sort of fortune. They weren't interested in the fact that Edison was <laughs> killing stray dogs. No. They, they honestly, and I mean, it's not even that they approved of it. They just honestly didn't care. That, that was not relevant to their search for a use for Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. They looked at Niagara Falls and they went, okay, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's figure out what the facts are, what's going to be the best way to use it, the most efficient way, mm-hmm. and the way that's going to make us the most money. Sure. Which are pretty reasonable criteria for a commission like this. So they really were looking for results. They mm-hmm. were looking for bids. They were looking for numbers. They were looking for facts. They saw what Edison was doing as kind of a sideshow. Oh, yeah, and, which, and, which it, is fair because you kind of made it into one. Essentially, yeah. But uh, the, the point being that while all these people are kind of fear-mongering, they kind of kept their head above the water on that a little bit. They weren't, they weren't being swayed by it particularly. Mm-hmm. Now, you also get things coming up in the next couple of years that would really make up their minds on this commission. In 1891, there was a uh, what was called the International Electrotechnical Exhibition in Frankfurt, Germany. Okay. And basically, this was a big electrical trade show. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of showed up. Like a World's Fair sort of situation? Less so. More more like an actual industry show. Okay. So you would have people there in booths demonstrating their latest tech. So you would have companies like Siemens from uh, from Germany in there. Okay, yeah. You would have Westinghouse would be there. Edison would be there with General Electric or Edison's General Electric Company at this point in time. Right, yep. And you would have smaller guys like Tesla there showing off what they've come up with next. At this show, the things that were happening with AC technology at this point in time were far and away the best thing that was happening at this show. Okay. There were guys working with DC and there were guys doing kind of interesting things with DC. Mm-hmm. But the spectacle. <laughs> yeah, the spectacle of AC. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we sort of talked about some of the advantages briefly. I mean, some of the other things that you know, between the two systems. DC is simpler and easier mm-hmm. in some ways, but once you get AC technology figured out, mm-hmm. it's not that much more complicated than than direct current. Right. Direct current also has this weird thing that goes along with the fact that the, the voltage can't be stepped, which is that different devices in your home use different voltages, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, at this point in time, you, you just sort of run your power through your your breaker box or your fuse panel and it sort of sorts the voltages out for you and you don't really think about the fact that your stove is using a much different voltage than your alarm clock yeah at this point in time with dc because they couldn't change the voltage you had to have separate power lines run for each voltage that you'd be using Mm -hmm. so one house could have three or four different sets of power lines running to it just to use the very, very small number of actual appliances that exist. They would at this all come point. from different generators then? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's a mess. Absolutely. It was a huge mess. Mm-hmm. And if something wasn't working, that's more to sort out. And if there's a storm and power lines go down, it's yep. 
that many more times uh, dangerous to clean up. You could have like a power outage where your your light bulb in your upstairs is affected, but not your I don't know what other appliances you even have at this time. Uh, things like washing machines. Yeah, anything in like the basement is still working, but you can't. You have to do it by darkness. Yeah, you could essentially have that situation. So. I mean, at this show, basically, these limitations of DC became really, really obvious when it was shown how versatile AC could be, right? especially in very practical applications. Because up until now, you have guys sort of arguing over the, the science of it, the technology of it. But mm-hmm. when you see actual devices in, in, in operation, it really changes your opinion on how this tech works. Mm-hmm. Then in 1893, there's the Chicago World Fair. Hey, there it is. <laughs> now... The Chicago World Fair in 1893 was meant to be the 400th anniversary of Columbus landing in the New World. Okay. So (laughs) it was very... And and the thing is, the 1890s is also very much the peak of sort of American... Industrialism. Not just industrialism, but also sort of imperialistic sentiments. Ah, So it was very patriotic. Mm -hmm. It was extremely... You know, it it was very important that this thing go off without a hitch. Mm -hmm. It was very important that it be a spectacle that shocks the entire world with how advanced and culture... Innovative. (laughs) Yeah, all of this stuff. The Americans are. So it was really crucial that the organizers of this fair had the best of the best. Absolutely. Westinghouse and Edison both bid on it. Yeah. Westinghouse could do it for a lot cheaper. Okay. Edison's original bid was over a million dollars, which I, I don't have the conversion rate in my... 1890 money. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's a huge amount of money. Yes. They revised their bid down to a little over 400000 Uh-huh. Westinghouse could still do it for about 350000 So they said, okay, well... Yeah, done. Done. Edison said, fine, but you can't use any of our lamps. Westinghouse said, okay, and developed a new kind of light bulb to use. (laughs) Take my ball and go home. (laughs) He could be very bitter about this whole thing. And and I can understand why, but (laughs) I'm definitely getting that picture from him. Yes. Edison was a guy who... This is a grudge. (laughs) I mean, his first patent was at 22. He was not used to losing. Yeah. He was used to winning, and when he didn't win, he got kind of confused about why. Oh, yeah, and then here comes this guy who's doing it better than he is and generally doesn't seem to care as much. Like, he's, you know, he's he's not raging about it like Edison is. (laughs) Absolutely. So it just looks like he's walking in, you know, dusting his hands off and setting the world on fire. (laughs) Pretty much. And... Yeah, he had the biggest, baddest tech in town. He mm-hmm. was working with all the cutting-edge guys. Yep. Edison was trying to make an obsolete system continue to work and kind of throwing a bit of a fit when it didn't. Yeah. 1893 was the big turning point for alternating current. Once people saw how well that World Fair worked, mm-hmm. and it worked really well. It Very was a well. spectacle. For many accounts that you see of the World Fair, it was... People were blown away. They'd never seen anything like it before. Yep, I've heard stories. <laughs> yep. Later in 1893, the Niagara Falls Commission awarded the bid to Westinghouse. They're back. <laughs> yep. They How were could finally, they not? <laughs> they were finally convinced that they had to make a decision on this. They mm-hmm. offered the bid to Westinghouse, and Westinghouse started setting up generators in Niagara Falls using hydroelectric power and began powering New York City with falling water from Niagara Falls using alternating current. And the generators there on the nameplate had Tesla's name because it was using Tesla's technology. Oh, cool. 
I don't know if Tesla even really realized that they were there. <laughs> he was on to other yeah. things at this point in time. But, I mean, that's, that's really the biggest part that Tesla plays in this story is that his technology was central to all of this. Right. Tesla, the man, he was aware of what was going on. But as I said earlier, he, he felt that it was a foregone conclusion that people would adopt alternating current. How long it took them was just sort of a measure of how smart they were to Tesla. Mm-hmm. Well, it was eventually right. Was it sort of the course of 20 years or so? Uh, it was a little less than that. It was, it, I mean, we're talking about 1885 to 1893. Oh, okay. It's, it's not that long a period that all of this sort of went down. Mm-hmm. Edison kind of remained very bitter about this whole thing. Sure. He continued trying to... Festering. Well, I mean, he continued trying to convince people that AC was incredibly dangerous. In 1903... He's got to step up his game, I'm guessing. I'm scared now. In 1903, Tesla, or, sorry, Edison had patented his movie camera. I've heard about this. <laughs> Continue. I gotta mention it. Yep. This is, well, this is a decade after he's lost the current. Mm-hmm. But not one, not one to let it lie. <laughs> there was an elephant at Coney Island named Topsy. Mm-hmm. Topsy went into a rage and trampled three people. More casualties of the Colonel War. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think they were really. <laughs> Not really those, those three weren't. Topsy, however, was. Yeah. Edison videotaped Topsy being killed by electrocution with alternating current in this 1903. Is the, this is the first video ever, right? <laughs> it's not the first video ever. <laughs> but I mean... Like this is this is ten years later. He has lost. Now I believe this is what I was thinking about earlier. This one is on YouTube. I know this for sure. I think it is. I've never I've never looked it up. No, and I don't want to. Neither do I. I can't verify it's on YouTube, but I've heard that it's on YouTube. The film was taken. Yep. The film was taken. I would not be surprised in the least if it's there. If you go look for this, that's your own that's your own deal. Don't put that on me. On hi101.ca. No, no, I will not post it there. <laughs> so, after the bid is awarded to Niagara Falls, Edison's General Electric, or it's actually just called General Electric at this point because mm-hmm. Edison's actually working with other financial backers. Basically, at this point, Edison is strong-armed into allowing General Electric to switch over to AC technology. Mm-hmm. And within a few years, they kind of speed right up to Westinghouse, and they become... Competitors again. Yeah, reasonable competitors. And they do quite well. I mean, General Electric is still around. Yep. They, they're one of the largest companies in the world. Mm-hmm. They did just fine. Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you've heard of them. One more point that I will mention is that they bought a little company called Tesla Electric in 1892. So they actually incorporate oh, some of that in there. Bring them into the fold. So... Really, that's the end of the War of the Currents as far as Edison is concerned. Mm-hmm. He sort of always festered over it, but didn't really let it... Get in the way of business anymore. Yeah, I mean, he continued innovating. The thing about the, thing about the invention game is that people tend to stick... They tend to be better at it when they're younger. Mm-hmm. Usually, you kind of get all your great ideas out fairly quickly. Yeah, and then you stand by them forever. Exactly. Edison, in 1891 invented a device called the kinetoscope. Okay. Kinetoscope was a device that allowed you to view film through uh, a viewfinder. Mm-hmm. You've, you've probably seen them around. They're sort of a box and they've got like a little viewfinder and you look in and you turn oh, the crank. Yeah, yeah. Edison was always interested in communication. This started off with his start in telegraphs. And he was always interested in new media. 
it's kind of interesting to talk about things like telegraphs and telephones and film as new media, but well, sure. that's the case. It yeah. was a brand new thing. The thing about the kinetoscope is it kind of took film out of sort of the art field, mm-hmm. which is where it had sort of begun, and monetized it because essentially you can pay someone admission to uh, an arcade, a penny yeah. arcade, where you can view these things. Yeah, this was uh, the Nickelodeon, right? Exactly, the Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And what's more, in later versions, you could set it up so that you had to put a coin into each one to, to allow it to operate once. Right. And this was incredibly lucrative. Mm-hmm. The reason these, these worked so well was because you couldn't really take a video that was really longer than, say, 30 seconds tops. Yeah. And it's kind of difficult to charge someone the equivalent of today's $13 to go sit in a giant theater, play 30 seconds of video, and then be like, clear out. As much of a novelty as it is. Yeah, this was a much way, a much better way of monetizing that experience for the time. Mm-hmm. And he went fairly heavily into producing films as well. Okay. So basically over the rest of his life, he, he stayed mainly working in film. Okay, which is kind of interesting. You don't think about Edison no, as being. You don't. Uh, no, I picture him like a big studio exec. It's <laughs> a producer, executive. Producer. But that's that's exactly what he became. I mean, yep. there was a small kind of departure in the late 1890s when he worked on the fluoroscope, which is essentially a way of taking pictures with X-rays. X-rays okay. were a fairly new thing at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. However, there was an accident with him and his assistant where Edison was nearly blinded mm-hmm. by X-rays. And his assistant, Clarence Daly, was killed uh, over a long period of time. He was exposed to so many x-rays oh. that he developed like extremely fast-moving cancer and, and died. In 1903, Edison said, uh, when, when asked about his x-ray work, he basically said, don't talk to me about x-rays, I'm afraid of them. Uh, so basically after that accident, he kind of put them aside. He never touched them again and yep. moved entirely to film production. Hmm. This film production, I mean... I'm I'm kind of going to glaze over it. The, the 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 advances that they made were incredibly interesting from a film history perspective. Yeah. But in terms of the actual technology, I mean, things like developing films that are two shots cut together, or you know, things like editing and so forth, longer and longer film stuff like that, are what mm-hmm. he worked on for most of the rest of his life. But that was pretty much it. He did a little bit of work on electric cha- trains in the year or two before he died. Uh, which were still driven by DC, by yep. the way, <laughs> and died of complications from diabetes in 1931. Yeah. Now, Edison was very much an inventor who was driven by this this philosophy of, uh, he once said genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Yep. He was very much, let's come up with an idea, let's iterate, 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 yeah. come up with prototypes, make them better. Elbow grease. <laughs> Yeah, work, 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 and come up with the best design possible because you don't know until you try it. Mm-hmm. He was primarily a businessman, even though he was, you know, personally a genius. He he came up with some incredible inventions. Right. He came to a point where basically it was more important to him to set up these companies that could continue producing inventions than it was to personally come up with these inventions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a number of things that we talked about here, including later ones, should really be more attributed to sort of the stable of inventors he had below him than Edison himself. He right, certainly yeah. he certainly worked on them, but Tentatively. a lot of them well yeah, a lot of them you could say that more of the credit goes to these other guys who were working for him. Yeah. So the thing about Edison and the way that we look at Edison today or or 
throughout history is that for most of the 20th century, people looked at Edison and went, there's a self-made man. He is uh, intelligent enough to produce all of these things. Right. He's savvy enough to create a business around them and profit from it. Definitely. He died a very wealthy man. Absolutely. <laughs> he set up long-lasting corporations that continue to... Gee. <laughs> yeah. That continue to produce all sorts of things. And, and they kind of looked at him as a, a really good kind of success story. Again, the American dream is sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yep. Something out of nothing. And they saw him... Things like things like his inventions often being based on other people's inventions was sort of looked at as, well, if those other people had been worth anything, they would have taken those ideas and turned it into something profitable themselves. Yeah. And I mean, that sort of idea about Edison lasted up until the 80s. If you look at various eras through American history and the way they kind of perceived business people... Mm-hmm. You know, Edison was a hero through the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, all of this, where it's this kind of idea, monetize it. Yep. That's the thing that matters. That last mile, the idea doesn't matter. Getting it on the shelves is what matters. Yep, that's the bottom line. Now, all of a sudden today, you've got this new idea of Edison as kind of this exploitive monster who, <laughs> you know, trapped his workers into these these contracts that didn't allow them to own their own ideas Mm -hmm. get this sort of maker's culture where you know if you come up with something you should own that thing that should be your thing yep and edison really doesn't fit into that model at all no so we've really seen this flip-flop of of edison as sort of this model to follow Mm -hmm. to edison as an example of industry gone wrong in terms of yeah unfettered capitalism exactly they would say that uh, that his methods stifle innovation, that the way he went after patents was unhealthy for business, that anything he did was driven by profit, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the problem with both of these, again, from, from a historiographical perspective, is that you're looking at the exact same story, right? Yep. Like you're looking at the exact same guy, and it's really difficult Applying to say... Applying your bias to it. <laughs> well, that's exactly what historiography is, is about examining this bias, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at this guy and going, this is the exact same story. These are the exact same things that happened. What's changed is the way that we look at these, yeah. right? And it says a lot about us, which is just kind of an interesting thing to think about. So I think from here, we'll have to move on to Nikola Tesla and take a look at his life and his inventions. But first, we'll take a quick break. Great. And we'll be right back. Next time on HI101, we'll look more closely at the life of Nikola Tesla, his early electric inventions, some of his other contributions to modern technology, and what our current fascination with the man says about our society. Join us next time on July 15th on HI101. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.